Welcome to another episode of the Yours Truly Podcast. I'm your host, Claire Tuning, a peanut butter and jelly enthusiast turned registered dietitian, yoga teacher, nutrition coach, and entrepreneur. I believe that happiness and health comes from the ability to truly nourish your body, mind, and spirit through food, movement, and relationships. That's what this podcast is all about. Together, we'll learn to eat gently, move freely, and love fiercely, and probably make a lot of puns along the way. So join me and my stellar squad of guests to learn the tools that you need to break free from a world of diet culture and negativity to fully, gently, and mindfully step into your own source of power. Yours, Julie, Claire. Here we go. What's up, guys? Welcome to episode 33 of the Yours, Julie podcast. I'm Claire, but you know that already if you listen to the intro and if you've been here before. So if you're hanging out with me for the first time, welcome to the Yours Truly podcast. I'm truly grateful that you've navigated your way through the interwebs to be here with me. If you've been on this podcast before, hanging out with me, if you know me, I want to say thank you for being you and coming back to listen to more of my food puns inevitably because they're going to come out in this episode. And I've got to be totally honest with you here on this episode because I like to be fully transparent behind the mic, even though you can't see me. I'm going to be transparent and tell you that for some episodes, I come in with an exact game plan, have my notes all you know written out and color-coded, and that's good. But today, I'm feeling like I need to be challenged a little bit. I like to give myself these challenges where it's like, okay, Claire, you have this idea. You have a general idea of where you want it to go in this episode. Can you make it work? So my challenge sitting here behind the mic, lighting fire to the mic, is going to be, can I do this? in one take. So buckle your seatbelt. This is going to be an exciting one, guys. I just had some peanut butter balls. If you follow me on Instagram, you know that my one of my latest posts was a video that I made of some peanut butter and jelly balls, which, oh my god, they're blowing my mind. And maybe that's why I feel so hype right now, because I have just the perfect ratio of peanut butter to jelly to oat in my belly right now. So go check out those on my Instagram feed. You can find me Claire Tuning there. It's always a good time. Today on the Yours Julie podcast, I want to talk about an experience that I had as a kid that I didn't realize it at the time was going to be so impactful and transformative for me in my relationship with food and now the practice that I teach my clients around nutrition. At the time, I didn't know. But now I know how big of a deal this experience was for me. So I want to walk through what that was and why I feel like it's so important. But before we get there, if you've been hanging out with me here before, you know that I always like to start an episode by featuring some post that has come up recently in the Yours Truly Goal Slaying community. That's a tongue twister if you say it too quickly. So... This community is my free private Facebook community where my clients hang out and where anyone who is super interested in the topics that we talk about here on this podcast of mindful and intuitive eating, of ditching diet rules, of truly mending and repairing the relationship with food in your own body through intuitive eating, it's a really awesome corner of the internet to hang out in. So this post that was posted 
not too long ago from when I was recording this is from one of my newest members of the community. She's one of my newest clients. We had our call last night and it was so much fun. I love when I have someone on the other end of the line or the camera because all of my client calls are video chat that I feel like matches my level of energy and we just flow and vibe so well. And that was one of these calls. But coming out, she posted her main takeaway from our time together and it goes like this. She writes, Hi Goal Slayers, one of my takeaways from my call with Claire tonight really resonates with me. Me and my body, we are on the same team. I used to treat my body like a dumpster and I would feel sick and sluggish a lot. We get to live in these bodies and we get to have fun in these bodies. So let's always remember that our bodies and us are on the same team. Self-hug everyone. Haha, ha, yes, I just took it there. So if you're reading, and then she um, she put this little picture of a notebook that she had been taking notes in on our call, and it reads, me and my body are on the same team. We do our best when we are working together. So I absolutely love that reflection that she uploaded to our community and that she put like self-hug in there. I don't know about you guys, but that remind, reminds me of like middle school when they're like, self-hug. And it's like, everyone's like, yay, <laughs> Care Bears. Like, I don't know what it reminds me of, but yes, give yourself a self-hug right now if you're listening because you deserve your own affection and your own sense of joy and attention in a way that allows you to realize that you and your body are on the same team and you do so much better if you put your energy and effort towards helping your body rather than fighting against it. Something I tell all of my clients is just like we have a finite amount of time in a day, Yes, that is 24 hours in case you were wondering, but just as we have a limited amount of time, we also have a limited amount of energy that we can give to our daily life and our daily activities. If you are giving so much of that limited, finite energy to negative thoughts about food, to diet rules, to over-exercising, to picking your body apart, then what makes us think that we are going to be able to show up for our life in full force in the capacity that we know that we are capable of? So moral of the story here, you save some of that finite, precious energy, and you build yourself up if you realize, hey, you and your body are on the same team, so how can you act? How can you speak to yourself? How can you eat? Listen to your intuitive self in a way that makes you realize that I work so much better as a human being when I'm not trying to fight what my body is saying, when I'm listening, when I'm being intuitive, and when I'm truly appreciating my body for all that it does for me. So that is the Yours Truly Goal Slayer post of the week. If you're listening to this and you're like, man, I want to be involved in a community that is so uplifting, that is a wonderful corner of the internet where you can read takeaways from my clients. We post recipes. I do live videos. We do trainings. If you want in on this community, it's free and open for you to join. The only thing that you have to do in order to get there is fill out a brief application that I have for you. The application is not as scary as it sounds. The only reason I've implemented the application is as the community grows, I want to make sure that we are all on the same page with what the group is for so that I can ensure that this little corner of the internet stays the coolest place ever. 
So if you want that application and you want to join our community, you have a couple ways of getting to me. You can friend me on Facebook. My name there is, yep, you guessed it, Claire Tuning. You can also find me on Instagram under that same name, Claire Tuning. I make it real easy for you guys. And all you have to do is send me a message or a DM telling me that you listen to the podcast, you want to join the community, and then I will send you that application before we welcome you in to our little team. So that's a wrap for the Yours Truly Goal Slayer post of the week. And now, da-da-da-da, fancy transition music that doesn't actually exist, but I'm going to pretend like it does. Maybe eventually I'll have someone who can help me do these podcasts and like put cool sound effects. But for now, you guys are just going to have to sit back and watch me do cringeworthy things like make sound effects into the microphone. But today on the the episode of this podcast, which is episode 33, I want to detail an experience that I grew up with as a child that was actually a really positive experience. So the thing I find really interesting about so many podcasts and messages and posts on social media about intuitive eating and health at every size and kind of this movement that is starting, so many of those educational posts and platforms are coming at this conversation from a negative experience, right? And it makes sense that if we as individuals had a negative experience around food or our own bodies growing up, then of course we want to take what we've learned from that over the years and frame it in a positive way so that we can now help other people move through that similar journey, right? So I understand the progression of talking about a negative experience and how it turned into a positive one. However, I want to use this episode to actually talk about a positive experience that I had as a kid and kind of expand on how you can replicate this positive experience to improve your own journey when it comes to intuitive eating, mindful eating, and trusting your own body, aka believing that you and your own body are on the same team. You see what I did there? I had a purpose in bringing that post into this. But The positive experience I want to talk about is something that I've mentioned once on my social media feed, but it was a while ago, so it may be a little bit buried at this point, but if you've been with me for a while, you know that I had an open candy jar policy when I was growing up as a kid. What I mean by an open candy jar policy is exactly how it sounds. There was a candy jar that existed in a wooden buffet in my house. So it was like this big antique wooden buffet that my mom would keep like napkins in. She would keep the china, the extra silverware that you only use on Christmas or when you're eating like really nice steak, right? It was kind of this this cabinet that held all of these things. And on either side of the cabinet and on either side of the sets of drawers that it has, it has two little cabinets that open for like almost what seems to be a secret compartment. In the right-hand compartment was a bunch of candles, so it smelled really nice, let me tell you. But on the left-hand side, there lived a glass jar. I honestly can't tell you how big it was, but I could like cradle it in my arms like a small child, so it was a decent size. And in this jar would hold candy. So this would be candy that I would collect throughout multiple occasions over the year. So it would have Halloween candy, candy from 
Easter because that's something that I celebrated, candy from Valentine's Day. It's like, think back to all of the times in elementary school where your school threw like a party for some sort of, you know, holiday or celebration. And obviously you received candy or some type of sweet treat at this party. And you would usually receive it, especially on Halloween in an amount that you can't really finish in one sitting, or at least I couldn't finish in one sitting. So all of the leftover candy from the years and years would go in this jar and it would remain an open candy jar policy, meaning that whenever I wanted a piece of candy, I could go to the cabinet, open that left-hand side and take a piece of candy and then move on with my day. The candy was never withheld from me as a punishment. It was never given to me as a reward. And I was never really told how to act or not act in relation to this candy jar. So before I go any farther with my story, I have to take a step back here and give a big thank you to my mom and dad. I don't know if they're ever going to listen to this episode because let's be honest, the idea of podcasts still confuse them. I was trying to describe the other day like what a podcast is because they know I do this, but I was like, hmm, what is the best way that I can describe this to someone who has no earthly idea what a podcast is? And the best thing I could come up with was like, mom, it's like a talk show that I have with myself. (laughs) Sometimes I have guests And sometimes I just talk into this shiny microphone for 30 to 45 minutes. She was like, okay, right? Where do I find it, right? I was like, yeah, iTunes, blah, blah, blah. Anyways, I have to give them a big thank you if they ever listen to this for having the smartness or having the the sense that they did to allow me to learn how to navigate this relationship with food and not use food as a punishment or a reward. Because again, like I said at the beginning of the episode, when I was a kid, you don't sit back and think to yourself like, man, when I'm older and when I'm a registered dietitian, this is going to be something that shapes my practice. Like, no, you didn't think that. I was like, man, I'm a kid and I can just eat this candy. But now I realize that my relationship with that candy jar describes perfectly one of the principles of intuitive eating that is described in the intuitive eating book and that I want to go through here that I don't feel like I would have been able to learn as effectively as I did from a young age if I had those external moderators telling me, don't eat that. You can only have one of those. Like, that's bad. Don't have that, right? So a big thank you to my parents for allowing me to exist in a space where I had the power to choose how to act around this candy jar. So the interesting thing about having this candy jar is, and I understand why this is now, but I never could understand it when I was younger that when all of my friends would come over to my house because... You should also understand that I grew up as an only child, so I never really had to to fight for this candy with any siblings. So it was just me in in this candy jar. But whenever my friends would come over to my house, I had such a hard time wrapping my mind around the fact that they thought that it was such a big deal that I could eat candy whenever I wanted to. And subsequently, what would happen when they would come over to my house and they would realize like, oh my goodness, Claire, like you can just go to the candy jar whenever. And I was like, yeah, like what's the big deal? Like it's just candy, right? But they would view it as like the biggest, coolest thing ever. And their parents would probably (laughs) not appreciate it very much. But when they would come to my house, like 
they literally couldn't control themselves around the candy. And like, I remember thinking to myself as a kid, especially with my friends who I knew had really strict parents because I, I knew when I went over there that we were never really allowed to have anything sweet or I was never allowed to put food on my own plate. It was just like what was given to me, right? I could never understand why those friends, when they came over, they couldn't see what I saw in the candy. I, I didn't understand how they couldn't just have a piece and move on and, and play, right? I, I didn't understand why it was such a big deal simply because I had almost become so desensitized to it because it was always there and I was always going to have it if that was what I wanted. So what I want to do with this candy jar analogy, because it's like the perfect example of intuitive eating, right? Giving yourself access to food, not moralizing the food, figuring out, you know, how the heck do I conduct myself around this food in a way that satisfies me mentally and physically? Like, I want to use this example and break it down into the three top reasons why I feel like this candy jar was so important to my intuitive eating journey. And then I want to expand on the conversation a little bit and tell you how this candy jar can take effect in your real life. So no, I'm not going to tell you that you have to have a candy jar, but I want to take the principles and the concepts that this jar taught me and tell you how you can take those same principles into your daily life to hopefully help you step forward on the intuitive eating journey. So the first thing that I think this candy jar did for me was that it normalized food. So kind of going back to what I just said, I had such a hard time wrapping my mind around the fact that when my friends came over, they thought it was such a big deal simply because for me, when I was living within five feet of this candy jar, practically at all times, it was normal to me, right? The idea or the thought of candy wasn't elevated and put on this pedestal as in being, you know, ooh, tempting, or like, ooh, what's that about, or oh, sinful, or bad, or guilty, or something that I shouldn't have. To me, it just seemed like all of the other food in the fridge and the cabinet. And of course, as I grew older, I realized that, yeah, sure, there are nutritional differences between a piece of candy and the food that was in the fridge, right? The yogurt, the salads, the, you know, chicken, like, I wasn't blind to the fact that they were different foods, but I didn't necessarily associate any difference in moral value with that candy, which is what my friends were doing when they came over and they saw, it was like the, the, the heavens opened up and the angels sang down and they saw the light on this food that they were never able to have. And they thought it was the biggest deal in the world, but for me, it was normal. So I think in the process of normalizing something that was typically touted as bad or I couldn't have, it really took a lot of the mystery and the questions out of it, right? So like think back to any time that you've that you've ever been on a diet, right? And there's like this one thing that you can't have and maybe you haven't had it for years and years and years and then you see it like sitting on the table at work and you're like, man, I bet that tastes so good, right? It's like that, that thought in your brain where it's like you can't think about anything else because that whatever it is is sitting over on the table that you're telling yourself you can't have. So you've put this food on a pedestal and you act differently around it 
because of it, right? And it's harder to be in a situation where that food exists because you've gone through so much time and trials and tribulations of your mind, building it up in your brain as like the best thing ever, right? Which is what my friends were doing with the candy. But for me, I knew how the candy tasted. I knew how it made me feel if I ate too much of it, and I knew that I didn't necessarily want it all the time. There was no mystery around it, so I didn't feel the need to eat it all of the time because I knew what it was going to do, right? I had been there and I had done that. So in this conversation of normalizing certain foods, this also brings in the idea of I learned from a young age that food was not a moral issue. What I mean by this, this is something that I talk to my clients a lot about because I see so much on social media and so much when people come to me, they're talking about food in a way that we talk about human beings, right? They're talking about food in a way that's bad, good, clean, dirty, sinful, tempting, guilt-inducing, like all of these things, then in reality, food can't be those things because food is an inanimate object. Of course, At one point in time, yes, some of your food may have been a living being, whether it was an animal or a plant, but when it gets to your plate, it doesn't really have the qualities of a human because it's not a human, right? It can't be clean or dirty unless it has dirt or soap on it. It can't be good or bad because it's just a food. Humans can be those things, but food is not that. So I think from a very young age, when food was never kind of withheld from me or put on this glass pedestal of something that was bad or tempting or sinful or guilt-inducing, I realized that I could have a totally normal relationship with the candy because at the end of the day, it was just candy, right? It wasn't anything that, that had a reflection on who I was as a little girl growing up. It had no impact on how I viewed myself. It was just food that lived in the left-hand drawer of the cabinet, right? It was just candy. So the second thing that I think this candy jar did for me is that it gave me an abundance mindset around food. So, so often the reason why diets in general do not work is they put you into a scarcity mindset around food. And this is not something for you to blame yourself for doing, but it's something that kind of comes as a consequence of diets because they're demonizing certain foods. They're telling you, you can't, you shouldn't, you won't have certain things. And what that does in your brain, it communicates this idea of, okay, then if I can't have these foods, if I only have to stick to foods on list A, then every Everything on list B is scarce, right? This is stuff I can't have. This is stuff that I'm not going to have around my house. And this is something that I can't control myself around, right? And when we put ourselves in that scarcity mindset, we set ourselves up for what is commonly referred to as the binge and restrict cycle, right? Because let's get really real with each other here. Let's think about all of the things that you're telling yourself that's on list B. You know, I can't have, I shouldn't have, you know, they have to be scarce around my household. Like in a true and honest world, if you're going to be totally honest with Claire right now, can you imagine a version of your life where you never, never, never guys, where you never eat that food again, whatever that food is for you. For a lot of people, I'm just going to use an example here. 
For a lot of people, that is something like a sweet, right? You hear it all the time. Well, I'm cutting out sugar. I'm cutting out carbs, right? Totally and completely, which that's a conversation for another topic, but you hear this and then you're like, okay, you know, you can do that, but in what world can you exist forever and ever where that food isn't going to be in your life, right? We can't put ourselves in these white boxes around food saying, I'm only going to stick to foods on list A, because guess what? The foods on list B are always going to exist. And what happens when we don't have an abundance mindset around those foods, when we put ourselves in this binge restrict cycle, so often we'll go, go, go. We'll be doing so well, you know, chugging along. Like I haven't eaten sugar in X amount of days. Right. And then all of a sudden we're placed in a scenario where we realize, Hey, I don't live in that white box. Like, you know, this sugary food exists in the real world and they're going to show up on your break room table. And it's going to, it's going to have been a week, right? You're going to be exhausted. You're going to be stressed out. And in that moment, quote, willpower, as people like to say, is a really weak thing to fall back on, right? So what's going to happen is you're going to have that cookie, right? And since it's so scarce, since you've been telling yourself, oh, I can't keep these in my house, I can't have them, you literally have not built up the strength to interact with that cookie in a positive way. So what's going to happen more often than not, I don't know you exactly, so I can't say 100% this is what's going to happen to you, but what I have seen in practice and in personal experience, what you typically restrict, what is typically scarce when you have that food, the primal instinct part of your brain is like, oh my gosh, this is so good, right? I want to keep eating this to enjoy the pleasure of this experience. So I'm going to eat, 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 because guess what? Oh, if I'm being bad and I'm allowing myself to do this right now, then oh, all bets are off tomorrow and I'm back to the diet, right? So we're constantly going in flux between the scarcity mindset of saying, if I have this now, I gotta eat it all. Like I gotta keep eating it because when I go back home, this isn't gonna be there and I'm not gonna allow myself to have it again. That last supper type of mentality. And then what happens the next day is we restrict, restrict, restrict all the way until we get back to that break room and they're there again and the willpower is weak and you're stressed out and the cycle repeats itself, right? So for me as a kid in living with this abundance mindset saying the candy's always gonna be there, right? I'm lucky enough to live in a family where I am able to have this at my disposal, right? I didn't have that sense of gratitude as a child, but now looking back on it like, man, I am so lucky that I have this at my disposal and it is abundant. So there's no reason for me to alter how I'm acting around that food or enter these crazy extremes of the binge restrict cycle because guess what? Since I know the candy is just candy, back to point number one, I know the candy has no moral value to me, I know that it doesn't impact how I am as a human being, then I can have some of that whenever that I want. And I don't have to feel like I have to eat it all and enter that last supper mentality. Because guess what? Tomorrow's a new day. And since I don't have any siblings, LOL, the candy is still going to be there tomorrow, right? So it put me in this abundance mindset that let me know that I don't have to have an all or nothing relationship to the candy because it's always going to be there and because I know how to interact around the food. The third thing was it put me in the driver's seat. So I cannot speak from experience now of having kids because if any of you follow me on social media, you know that I don't have kids. 
But the one thing that I can applaud my parents for with this candy jar and with my relationship with food growing up is that I was pretty autonomous surrounding food. I was always allowed to help out in the kitchen. You know, it was fun, it was creative. And when it came time to put food on the plate, I was always allowed to put as much as I felt like I needed. I wasn't forced to eat certain foods. I wasn't forced to finish my plate if I say I'm not hungry anymore. And I wasn't forced to eat a certain number of things or like finish this before you stand up from the table. So they really put me in the driver's seat from a young age, which I think kind of built up that intuitive eating muscle or kind of built up my intuitive eating confidence because I learned from a young age how to operate in the face of food and figuring out, well, how do certain foods make me feel? Like how much does it take me to be full? And really for me, when I didn't have any of these external pressures saying, Claire, you can't eat that right now, or Claire, you shouldn't be having that, or Claire, like eat this and not that, right? When I didn't have those external pressures, it really allowed me to navigate food in a way that I found suitable for myself because the interesting thing about it, guys, and anyone who has listened to my content before, you know that I always reassure people that you were born an intuitive eater and you don't lose that ability. That's something that is innate. That's something that you were born with. If it wasn't something we were born with and we would all be dead, the human race would not be here, right? You were born with it and you don't lose it over time. It's just something that kind of gets pushed down over years and years of having those external pressures, whether it's the media whether it's, you know, your family, your parents, whatever it is. And I think the important thing to realize is if it's coming from a family perspective, they're doing it in a well-meaning way, right? I think most people don't say like, oh, I'm really trying to mess my kids up around food. Like that's not the intention. But what we don't realize is when we put a lot of external pressure on someone in a food situation, it can lead to a place where we try to rebel, right? We say like, oh, they told me I need this, so I'm not going to do that, or I'm going to eat all of the candy when they say not to it. It really kind of sets us up for failure from the beginning if we aren't told and, and nurtured in a way where we have the intuitive voice and the confidence to continue following that intuitive voice is given to us. So, In me saying this right now, I don't mean to say that if you didn't have this kind of relationship with food growing up that you can't get there and it's like, oh my god, I gotta call up my mom and tell her she did such a bad job. Like, No, this is not the purpose of this talk at all. The purpose of this talk is simply to use the example of the candy jar and tell you no matter what kind of relationship you had growing up with food, you can get to a place where you have your own type of candy jar situation in your life, right? And that's what I want to talk about now. So I'm going to expand on this example and tell you what this looks like in real life. So I want to break down three tips that you can take from this example of the candy jar and start to implement in your own relationship with food. So if you'll flash back, the first lesson that the candy jar gave me was that it normalized food and it took away my need to moralize food or identify myself with the food that I was eating. So the tip that I have coming out of this lesson is to stop talking about food like it's a sin, 
right? I'm sure you've probably heard it before. It's a common topic in the workplace, in schools. Like, I go out to the grocery store and I hear it. It's like, man, like, I'm so bad. Like, I ate that thing, you know? And it's like almost kind of a, a chatter thing that people laugh about. And they're like, no, like, keep going. And it's just this really negative and, and vicious cycle. And what I've been realizing is that in our tendency to moralize food or say, you know, that candy is bad or candy is the root of all evil, it's like we're talking about food like it's a sin, right? And it's not. Like it's our born intuitive ability and need to eat food to sustain ourselves, right? So my challenge for you is stop talking about food in this way because it's not only communicating something to your subconscious, but it also communicates negative messages about food to the people around you, right? If you ate a cookie, you ate a cookie. You didn't murder someone, guys. Like, have you ever talked about some, have you ever heard someone rather talk about food in a way where it's like they're talking about like they just like went out and just like made a moral sin right and it's like it's not that serious like if you ate a cookie you ate a cookie and that's what you did you didn't hurt anyone you didn't like I don't know cause a car accident like it's not a moral sin that you did you just ate a cookie so let's kind of zoom out here for a second start to become more aware of the language that you use around food and realize that it's not that serious food is just food and you are you you choosing to eat something like a cookie does not make you a bad human you choosing to eat a cookie makes you a human that ate a cookie. Just like you choosing to eat a salad doesn't mean that, oh my God, you're doing so great. Like you're sticking to your diet. You're such a good person, right? It just simply makes you a person that chose to eat a salad. Neither the salad or the cookie is the better option, right? They are just food. So let's take a little bit of the emotionality out of it and let's talk about food for what it is, food, not a moral issue. So the second thing, um, the second lesson that I had was having that candy around gave me an abundance mindset. So the tip that I can give you to help develop or redevelop that abundance mindset, because you had it at one point, right? When you were little and you were like a little baby, you didn't know that certain foods were quote bad or good, right? You just knew that food was food and you knew that, you know, you were going to be able to, to have the food and move on. So my tip for you here in helping to redevelop an abundance mindset is to keep a variety of foods around. And I know it sounds simple, but it's going to be a lot harder than it sounds, especially if in keeping that variety of foods means that you have to start opening the doors to some foods that you have shut out of your life. And this tip is one that takes a long time, right? Because you're not going to walk into the grocery store today or tomorrow morning and buy all of the foods that you've been restricting from your diet and think it's like the best thing ever, right? This is something that I work with my one-on-one -on -one clients with on an ongoing basis for a long time, right? Everyone moves at their own pace and speed, but in allowing these foods back into your life and keeping a variety of foods around, it's a process that's going to take a little bit of time and that's okay because let me ask you how long did it take you to get to this place in your life where you feel like you can't live within five feet of a certain food right it has probably taken you months and months years and years maybe even decades right so we can't expect for that to be reversed in a 24 hour or 48 hour or even a month or two months time frame 
It takes a while. The reason why I think keeping a variety of foods is so important is one, it gives you that abundance mindset and it kind of stops the need to keep going on that binge restrict cycle, right? When you tell yourself you have to live in a little white box and you can't have certain foods around, then that's just like me telling you that if you have a bad relationship with someone in your life, then you just need to like ignore them and not bring it up, right? If I told you that as for relationship advice, you'd probably be like, Claire, you're crazy. Ignoring them isn't going to solve anything. And I'd be like, yes, you're right. And that's exactly what I'm trying to tell you about the food, right? Sitting there, restricting the food, ignoring the food, pretending like it doesn't exist is not actually going to solve your issue around the food. Will it maybe help you to not eat the food? Sure for a certain amount of time, but like I told you a few moments ago, you're always going to live in a world where those certain foods exist. Unless an unfortunate apocalypse happens, then none of us will be living in any world. That got kind of grim. <laughs> but anyways, you're always going to live in a world where these foods exist, so why not allow them back into your life and pass through a period of time that may be scary, that may take a little bit of time where you're allowing these foods back in, you're relearning how to enjoy them, so that eventually you'll be able to exist in a space confidently with these foods where they're not controlling your mindset and you're not entering, re-entering, and going and going and going on this vicious cycle. Ignoring the problem and not keeping the foods around is the root of scarcity mindset, and I'm here to tell you that will not solve the issue around food. So keeping a variety of foods around can be fun too. That's why I love it. One thing that I really help my clients with is I want food to be fun again, right? I want food to be an enjoyable experience, something that we look forward to, something that's creative, something that's an experiment, right? It doesn't have to be something that we dread and hate doing. One of the ways that we can start to get into this place of fun with food is by keeping a variety of foods around that bring us joy, right? So when you look into your fridge, you may see a couple different colors coming from things like fruits and vegetables that you actually enjoy, or maybe you've never tried them before and you want to give them a shot, right? Maybe a couple different types of, of grains or proteins that you've never had, right? Really trying to expand your horizons and thinking, well, in addition to letting these fear foods back in my life, I also know that it's important to eat foods that continue to help me feel the best in my physical body. So how can I honor that need in a way that lights me up and makes me excited rather than makes me feel like I have to eat chicken, broccoli, and rice in a meal prepped container every single day? And I don't mean to shame that at all. If you're like, Claire, chicken, broccoli, and rice is my jam and I love it every single day, then you do you, right? I'm the same way with peanut butter and jelly. But all I'm trying to say is expand your horizons and try to enjoy food by keeping a variety of it and by keeping some foods in your house that scare you so you can get to the root cause and not live in a state of avoidance. The last thing, um, the last lesson that I learned was that it put me in the driver's seat, having this open candy jar policy. So the thing that I will say about this is I want to challenge you to look to your own sense of issue intuition to make your food decisions. In looking to your own sense of intuition, one, 
yes, it's there and it exists. You didn't lose it. Like I told you earlier, it's just gotten quieter. That intuitive voice has gotten quieter and more timid over years and years and years of you saying, no, you're wrong or nobody, we're not on the same team, right? And not even that you did that intentionally, but it's just gotten quieter. That version of you, well, it's gotten quiet. I'm going to whisper, right? Um, it's gotten quieter. So it's not that it's not there. It's just that you're going to have to put a little bit more intentionality in how you listen to it. So instead of looking to resources outside of yourself for how much you need to eat, when you need to eat, where you need to eat, what you need to eat, right? Take those rules and those layers away and really start to tune into things like the hunger scale, right? How hungry are you before and after your meal? How mindful are you being around the meal? Like, are you constantly eating and like running to the next thing? Are you even remembering that you're eating food? Like, what are you doing when you're eating, right? How does the food that you're eating make you feel? Like, does it make you feel good and energized? And is it satisfying to your taste buds and your mental state? Or maybe is it making you feel like totally sluggish? And are you just living in a state of guilt around your food, right? Start to ask these questions and put your intuitive detective lens, as I like to say, on your eating experience so that you can lean internally so that in your food experiences, you gain confidence that you know what to do, right? Like that childlike version of you who didn't care what anybody thought, who knew what was best for him or her is still there. So give them the reins and put them back in the driver's seat. Of course, you can look for other sources for ideas and maybe information, right? Of course, there's a certain amount of nutrition knowledge in what I call gentle nutrition, where we can take the science of nutrition and rather than spinning it and using it as a rule to control our life, we use it to help enhance our decisions and be like, oh yeah, like I felt that way after I ate the food. Like maybe this is why, right? So reaching out to someone like me or another dietitian or involving yourself in our Facebook community is a wonderful place to get more information. But at the end of the day, we are still allowing that intuitive sense of self and reason to guide food decisions rather than looking to my fitness pal and thinking like, oh, I need a meal plan to figure out how much to eat. Because at the end of the day, you don't need that. You just need to trust, right? You don't need fixing. There's nothing wrong with you. You just need strengthening. So I'm going to wrap up the episode here. I hope this was helpful for you guys. I hope that you learned a little bit about my candy jar experience. As always, if you got any ounce of value out of this episode of the Yours Truly podcast, please, it would mean the world to me if you could take one or two moments out of your day, leave a five-star rating, type in a review to tell me what you learned from this episode because the thing that I want more than anything is for you to continue to get value from this podcast and for anyone else who needs to hear a message like this, for them to be able to receive this free and valuable information. So leave me a rating, leave me a review, and if anything in this episode resonated with you, please take a screenshot, share it on social media. You can tag me at Claire Tuning, and you can also feel free, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, to tap those three dots in the bottom right-hand corner of your screen. That will really easily and quickly give you a link that you can share, you can email it, you can text it to anyone you have in mind who this episode may benefit. But until next time, yours truly, Claire.